Please open your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes. <clears throat> Ecclesiastes chapter 2. I will read the chapter and then I'll read a portion in the end of the book. Chapter 12, verse 13 to 14. This is the way I intend to do it moving forward so that we may have, a, we may have the, the broader picture of this book because in the end of the book, we have the summation, the summation of the book, the, the purpose statement, if you will, which always ought to be in front of our eyes. So I'm going to read Ecclesiastes chapter 2, then we will read chapter 12, verse 13 and 14. This is the authoritative, infallible, inerrant word of God. I said in my heart, Come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad. And of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold, to, to, to lay hold on folly, till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works, I built houses, and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks, and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings, and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who, who were before me in Jerusalem. All, uh, also my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly, for what can man do who comes after the king, only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in, 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 has his, eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceived that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten. 
how the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after the wind. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me, and who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over the toil over all the toil of my labors under the sun because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it this also is vanity and a great evil what has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun for all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy but to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Chapter 12, verse 13 and 14 says, Chapter 12, verse 13 and 14, The end of the matter all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. I'm going to pray and then we will consider uh, chapter 2, verse 1 to verse 11. Please bow with me in prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, we come to you this afternoon. We thank you that we get an opportunity to hear your word once again proclaimed to us. Blessed are those whose ways is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep your testimonies, O Lord, who, who, who seek <clears throat> your testimonies with their whole heart. Blessed are those who walk in your ways. And Father, we, we pray that this afternoon we would walk in your ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, help us that we may do so. Oh, that our ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then we shall not be put to shame because we we pay careful attention to your to your to your to your will. Grant that our eyes would be fixed on all your commandments, that we would praise you with an upright heart when we learn your righteous rules from your word. Help us to keep your statutes so that we may forever be in your will. Grant now that the word of the Spirit of God would use the word of God to reveal to us the Son of God to the praise and glory of your name. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
<clears throat> I'd like to begin my sermon this afternoon by underscoring the truth that Ecclesiastes is part of the inspired canon. Solomon writes this with the full awareness that this is God's word. This, these are not his words. This is the word of God. They're not merely his words. This is <clears throat> indisputably the word of God. Now, it is breathed out by God. And, and how do we know this? Go with me to chapter 12 once again. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Look at verse 11. The Bible says, The words of the wise are like goats, and like nails firmly fixed are, are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. If you have a good translation, the word shepherd there is in capital, capital S, shepherd. The one shepherd there is the one inspiring the author. So these are not, these words of the wise are not merely the words of Solomon. They're the words of the one shepherd, God himself. And so then these are God's words. Now, as I make my introduction, let me submit to you that everyone here seated this afternoon has a perspective on life. Uh, you think about life time after time, and you think about life in a certain way. There's a certain way that you think about life. Now, mostly, you think about life from the perspective of your experiences and circumstances, and these then shape your worldview. They shape the way you think. The problem with that is that we are not very thoughtful and consistent in the perspectives we take. So we have our experiences and our circumstances shaping the way we think and our worldviews. And the problem there is that uh, we're not very thoughtful. We are not, you know, we, we are not always thoughtful. We are not always consistent in the perspectives we take. We are not very thoughtful and consistent in the opinions that we have and the opinions that we make. And we are not very thoughtful and consistent in the views that we hold. Now, God thinks that we need the book of Ecclesiastes precisely because we are fallen. We are prone to think about life in the wrong way. And so then God thinks that we need, we need this book. Um, so, so it's not only that we are prone to think about life in the wrong way, it's also that we are prone to think about life in a superficial way. We are, we are prone to go about life just because we have it, one day after another. You, my friend, this afternoon, you are prone to thinking about life like an unbeliever, if you're a Christian here this afternoon. You're prone to thinking about life just, uh, just in a superficial way because you have it. I am prone to think about life like an unbeliever. We are not very spiritual. And this is one of the reasons why we, we need God to save us, to change us, to reorient our desires, our views, our opinions. Because we're not very spiritual people. We're not very biblical. Um, now just listen to the arguments that people make about tribes or about church, about family, about politics, and about life in general. And you'll understand what I'm saying. People do not generally think spiritually or biblically about things and this is why then god thinks that we need the book of ecclesiastes we need to be shaped by the word of god in the way that we think in the perspectives that we take and this is why this book is particularly important for us so we we've already done the first chapter we are getting into the second chapter and <clears throat> we, are, we are quickly going to see that 
it's not as though the author is saying that life is simply meaningless. There's a purpose uh, that, that this book has for us. Martin Luther said this about, about the book of Ecclesiastes. Quote, We should read this noble little book every day precisely because it rejects sentimental religiosity. End quote. Now, the, the book of Ecclesiastes then is compelling because it gives us a perspective that is very thoughtful and that is very extremely uh, that is extremely consistent and realistic very realistic the author is not superficial he's very realistic with us he refuses to close his eyes either to good or to evil to pleasure or to pain he becomes very open with us very realistic so then this book looks at life the way it really is the author is, is telling us the way things are plainly without hiding anything from us life in this fallen world the preacher as he's called there in chapter one is taking us on this journey and i believe that this is the main point of the book of ecclesiastes that life without god is taking us through this journey to show us that life without god is meaningless so then negatively put the point of this book is this life without god is meaningless positively put the point of the book of Ecclesiastes is life with God is full of meaning, full of joy, and full of hope, even to eternity. We're going to see that as we continue, as we continue on with this book. The preacher began by telling us that vanity of vanities, all is vanity. There in chapter one, verse two, he gives us there this metaphor for life, vanity. The NIV renders it meaningless, something that is fleeting futile um he tells us that life is like a breath it's like a vapor it is passing it is like striking a match you strike it once it lights up uh, there is a puff of smoke but it quickly disappears that's how life is it's vanity it disappears quickly some of you love chai hot tea it has a steam that indicates that it is hot but as soon as you see it it vanishes that's how life is. Life is fleeting. It is futile. It is passing. It is a vapor. This is the point that the preacher is making when he says there, vanity of vanities, all is, is vanity. And, and he's, he's going to continue to tell us everything. Everything is vanity. He, he, will, list, uh, he will give us a list of things t telling us that everything is, is vain. And everything is vain for sure without God. Now, we recently went through the book of James and we were struck by that sharp verse there in James chapter 4, verse 14. James says, What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Now, I'm not sure we remember this, but Pastor Manasseh brought to us a sermon titled The Deception of Self-Sovereignty from that passage. And it was very clear that our life is like a mist. Our life is like a vapor. Uh, Pastor Manasseh called it their path of smoke. Today we have it, tomorrow it's, it's gone. The recording is there, you can look it up and listen to it. Now this evening, I'd like for you to see that pleasure is vanity. So I've titled my sermon uh, this afternoon. Christ is all in all because pleasure is vanity. I'd like you to see that pleasure is vanity that Christ 
is all in all. And this is because, number one, comedy does not satisfy. Number two, drugs do not satisfy. Number three, creativity does not satisfy. And then number four, greatness does not satisfy. So there's comedy, there, there are drugs, there, there's creativity, there is greatness, and all these things, seeking pleasure from these things, does not satisfy at all. Pleasure is vanity. But Christ, Christ is all in all. Solomon has just finished telling us that seeking to live by wisdom is vanity. And he will continue the same in the passage that we will consider next week, Lord willing. Thinking about life without regard for God is futile, he tells us. Even, even with wisdom, it is like a striving after the wind. Look at verse 14 of chapter 1. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity, and a striving after the wind. Look at verse 17 of chapter 1. And I applied my heart to know wisdom, and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. So he tells us there that even with wisdom, it is like a striving after the wind, which is meaningless. It's pointless. Solomon is constantly using the phrase under the sun, which I, I would like you to be very... Um, very uh, keen to pay attention to that phrase under the sun or under heaven you know he uses that phrase to let us know that the perspective is of one uh, uh, who looks at things without God one who looks at things from the perspective of this fallen world without God he says that the world is fallen and nothing or no one can fix it apart from the father through his son by the power of his Holy Spirit God alone is able to fix this world Without God, everything, everything is vanity. He now gets, gets us to consider pleasure, which is what we will be considering there in verse, verse, verse 1 to 11 of chapter 2. You know, <clears throat> he wants us to think about um, pleasure and indulgence or in, in, in all sorts of things. Solomon would now answer the, the catechism question, what is the chief end of man, by saying, man's chief end is to glorify myself, and to enjoy myself. That's what, that's what he, he's in a way telling us in, in verse 1 to verse 11 of chapter 2. And this really is the temptation of, of, of all of us. This is the temptation that all of us face. We, we do not want the chief end of man to be the glory of God. Rather we want the chief end of man to be our own glory. To enjoy ourselves. To be glorified ourselves. We would rather please ourselves than please God. We are consumed with self. And this book wants, wants to point us to God through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the question that we are to ask ourselves as we think of wisdom and pleasure and toil is this. Is that where meaning is? That's the question that I, I would like you to be thinking about as you think about wisdom, as you think about toil, and as you think about pleasure as we will be looking at this afternoon. Is, is, is that where meaning is? I have much wisdom in this life. Maybe even a degree. You know, some of you have recently gotten degrees now. Is that where meaning is? 
I have much work to do. I have, I have a lot of toil, a lot of work to do. Is that where meaning is? I can and will have all sorts of pleasures that I want. But is, is that where meaning is? Is that where we find the, the meaning of life? From work, from uh, pleasure, from wisdom. Now look with me at verse 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 2 verse 1. I said in my heart, Come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. You see, man's chief end is to glorify myself and to enjoy myself. Solomon tells us there, I said in my heart, Come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. Solomon did not have to fantasize about anything, my brethren. He, he did not have to dream about anything. He had all that men could ever want. He could get whatever he wanted, but he realized and concluded that all was meaningless. All was pointless. All was vanity, as he calls it there. He resolved to indulge in any and everything that would make him have maximum pleasure. But he quickly realized that it was futile. Listen to what Stuartolio says here. Quote, Many who walk the path of self-indulgence can only dream of what they would like to have. Solomon suffered from, such, from no such limitation. His greatness permitted him to have his every whim and to possess everything he had ever set his eyes on. End quote. Solomon did not have to daydream about anything. He did not have to fantasize about the things that he, he would want to have. He tells us there, he said in his heart, Come now, I will test you with pleasure. I want to, I want to get everything. I want to be, to be pleased by everything. Enjoy yourself. But then he quickly realized that it was vanity. And he goes ahead to describe for us how that looked like. Look with me at verse 2. I said of laughter, it is mad and of pleasure. What use is it? Now the preacher tells us here that comedy does not satisfy. He considers laughter and says, it is mad. What's the point of it? Foolish people laugh. Wise people laugh. Laughter can go on for a time, but it eventually ends. Think with me for a moment. Why do you laugh? What's the point of all the laughter that you, you make? You know, I know you're tempted to laugh now. But why, why do we laugh? What's the point of it? Think with, with uh, Koileth, the preacher, for a moment. <clears throat> he asks there, what use is it? You know, of what use is the pleasure that comes from laughing? Solomon asks this rhetorical question, the answer for which is nothing, vanity. It's all vanity. It has no use. It is meaningless. Solomon has, is as it were saying, you look for the best comedian in this world and sit under them. Laugh all you want. And when you finish, realize this. It is mad. It's madness. It's, it's pointless. It is useless. The pleasure of it is vain. Now, has anyone here ever seen Churchill show? 
I, I bet almost all of you have have seen um, Churchill show or or any mega comedy show. Have you seen how many people are there when the cameras are moving? A lot of people are there seated, waiting to be, you know, they are waiting to have their ribs cracked. That is how current the preacher is, even to today's audience. Because even to this point, people still look for meaning in comedy. People want to be, to, to find pleasure from uh, laughter. And so that's, that's, that's how current the preacher is <clears throat> to you and me this afternoon. And, and this is because uh, this is one of the places that people go to look for satisfaction, for pleasure. And Solomon tells us that even this is vanity. Life, my friends, is, is not a laughing matter. And there is certainly nothing to laugh about when one dies without Christ, without the Lord Jesus Christ, the only Savior. Because comedy does not satisfy. However, however much money you have <clears throat> to sit under the best comedian in the world, uh, if you laugh every day in your life, <clears throat> and you hear these motivational speakers telling you, uh, cultivate a life of laughter. You know, laugh, laugh a lot in your life. D don't frown. As though that's where meaning is. And the preacher submits to us this afternoon that comedy doesn't satisfy. It doesn't satisfy. He moves from comedy to drugs. Look with me there at verse 3. I search with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guiding me with wisdom. And how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. The wisest man, King Solomon, the preacher himself, tells us there that drugs do not satisfy. He tries intoxicants, you know, the thing that makes people high. He says, I, I want the bars, I want that bars. I want to enjoy even this. I, I want to cheer my body with wine. That's what he says there. And this too, the preacher says, does not satisfy. Now, isn't this what many who indulge in drugs want? The, the, that, that buzz? You know, they want a kind of pleasure that is transcendent. You know, an experience that is out of this world, as some would say. From, from the drugs. And that's, that's almost the plague of today's young people. They want to try all sorts of drugs. They want to drink uh, whatever new drink uh, is on the streets. The preacher tells us there that drugs do not satisfy. He says, it is vanity. This too, he tells us, is, is, is vanity. It's fleeting. I, I'd like you to pay close attention to the phrase, under the sun. You know, under heaven. Phrase there, under heaven. I remind you that the preacher is giving us this perspective, this view of things under the sun, under heaven, without regard to God, living life without God. And this is what he says is vanity. Life without God is vanity. Life under the sun, as is lived by the children of man, is vanity. 
And then from verse 4 to verse 7, the preacher tells us that creativity does not satisfy. Look with me there. Verse 4 to 7. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. Now consider with me for a moment that this is the wisest man in the world. This is the wisest man next to the Lord Jesus Christ that has ever lived. And he says, creativity does not satisfy. He says, I tried to be as creative as I could be, but even this is vanity. I made great works. I built houses. He made, he made his house for over a decade. Just the palace. He planted vineyards for himself, for, for himself. Now imagine the wisest man thinking of the best way to go about building a house and thinking of the best, the best plants, the best fruits that he could ever have. He says, I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. He, he was so creative, he, made, he not only made his house, he planted vineyards, you know, he made himself gardens and parks. You know, we wish that he was here today so that he may give us ideas on how to plant grass. <laughs> or because of how creative he was. And then he says, I made, I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. It's as though he was making forests for himself. Because of how creative he was. And then he says, I, I bought male and female slaves. And had slaves who were born in my house. Now, <clears throat> before we talk about him making, uh, uh, acquiring male, uh, male and female slaves, you know, one could easily say that Solomon had made, ha, ha, had a man-made garden of Eden because of how creative he was. All kinds of fruit trees, uh, 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 garden and parks and, and all sorts of things, vineyards. And then he says there he, he bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in, in his house. His creativity extended not only to building a, a house, building houses his creativity extended to getting people that will be living in those houses and and and, and he thinks what's the best way of getting getting people to live in these houses and the best way for me to be able to manage this house uh, is is getting male and female slaves servants and having them give birth under my my rule because even their children will be mine that's the best way to fill my houses that i have made for myself he had you know he's going to tell us that he he had uh, concubines he had all all uh, i don't think there's anyone who's had many women like solomon has there no one thousand thousand a thousand women all for himself to fill his houses and or to to uh 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 partake of all his possessions it says there however creative he got 
his creativity did not satisfy him. All was vanity. Think with me for a moment <clears throat> how many people seek satisfaction and pleasure from comedy. How many people seek pleasure and satisfaction from drugs, wine and drinks and all, all sorts of things. How many people find their fulfillment and satisfaction from how creative they are. And think with me or with the preacher of what use is it for them the preacher says it is vanity it is pointless it is meaningless without God then lastly the preacher tells us that greatness does not satisfy look with me at verse 7 to 10 I had also great possessions of herds and flocks more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. Solomon says there that he was the greatest man who ever walked the face of this earth. He says there, if it's possessions, he had all of them. <clears throat> Silver and gold, more than any kings could have, more than any provinces could have. <clears throat> if I wanted to, uh, if I wanted people to, to sing for me, I had singers singers both men and women who would sing at my command I would tell them sing and they sing I give them the tune and they sing to that tune because he was the wisest man he could come up with any song that he wanted and he had people to sing for him he says there if it's women I had I had all all sorts of women that I would want I had concubines I had wives. I had people for my own pleasure, he says. You know, and, and, and you see the phrase there, the delight of the sons of man? He's saying that you people, you, you people can only, can only fantasize and, and, and daydream about what I had. You know, you know what, what men would want? I had all of it without dreaming about it. And he says, even this was vanity. Even this was vanity. He became great. He surpassed all who were before him. There is no king that was greater than him uh, uh, before. And his wisdom was also with him. It's not as though wisdom left him. He still had it. So he had everything that he had wanted. 
he had all sorts of pleasure that he would want. He tried to laugh all he wanted. He tried to, to Im- drink, to get wine. That's what he says in the Proverbs. Wine is a mocha, strong drink. He tried, he tried it all. He had all sorts of houses, all sorts of creativity that he had. Then he says, ultimately, I was the greatest. But greatness, greatness does not satisfy. Whatever, whatever he saw and he wanted, he got it. He, he got it. And whatever my eyes desired did not keep from, from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. There's a sense in which we, we cannot imagine what Solomon is saying. <clears throat> but simply put, he had everything that he wanted. He had all the pleasure that he wanted. He says there, I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. He had everything that he wanted. Listen to First Kings chapter 4, verse 20 to 24. Judah and Israel were as many as the sand by the sea. They ate and drank and were happy. Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms from the Euphrates to the land of the Philistines and to the border of Egypt. They brought tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. He was the greatest man. Verse 22. Solomon's provision for one day, one day, was 30 cores of fine flour and 60 cores of meal. 10 fat oxen and 20 pasture-fed cattle. A hundred sheep besides deer, gazelles, roebucks, and fattened fowl. If you think I'm, I'm lying to you, open First Kings chapter 4, verse 20 to 24. It says, For he had dominion over all the region west of the Euphrates, from Tipsa to Gaza, over all the kings west of the Euphrates. And he had peace on all sides around him. My friends, Solomon had enough food to feed over 35,000 people. And this was just for one day. One day. He was the greatest. And he says, of the comedy, of the drugs, <clears throat> of the creativity, of the greatness that I had, all these things are vanity. Look at verse 11. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the, toiled, uh, and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind. And there was nothing to be gained. You see that phrase used there again? Under the sun. And so he's saying, life under the sun without God is meaningless. Like for you to see that this world is broken. Wherever you look for pleasure, it will not satisfy. You can get all the pleasures in this world that you want. You can be like Solomon, all you want. You can be greater than him, all you want. You can indulge in all forms of things. But they will not satisfy. There's a sense in which this comes sharply to the Christian who finds pleasure in sin. 
and seeks for satisfaction there. And the preacher is telling us that satisfaction can only be found in God. The world is broken. It's not the way it's supposed to be. Pleasure cannot be obtained from the things that, that we have. God created a good world, but then sin entered and corrupted it. Sin has destroyed everything. The Apostle Paul explains to us why things are the way they are in Romans chapter 8, and, and I request you to go read that in your own time. But listen to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4. We are going to get to this passage. But let me just read for you these three verses. Ephesians 4, 17 to 19. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. The word futility used there is the same word that the preacher uses for vanity. Futile. Meaningless. Uh, vain. The Apostle Paul tells us that we must not walk the way the Gentiles do in the futility, in the vainness of their minds. Thinking that we can obtain pleasure or be satisfied from the pleasurable things that we have in this world. He says they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Does that sound like what the preacher engaged in? Yes, it does. The, the preacher tells us that he, he tried every, every sort of pleasure. He had all sorts of, of pleasure uh, that he wanted, as he would please, so he would have. Whatever his eyes beheld, he did not keep from himself. Whatever his heart wanted, yeah, that deceitful heart, he had it. The Apostle Paul tells us that we are not to be like the Gentiles. Now, there's a point in Solomon's life when he departed from the ways of God. In all his wisdom, he went out and acquired uh, idols and, you know, <clears throat> embraced idol worship and became like a Gentile. Greedy to practice every kind of impurity as he did. And <clears throat> as inspired as this is, <clears throat> it's sad to realize, to know that this this. This inspired author tells us, don't, don't be like me. Do not seek to find pleasure or do not seek self-indulgence, self-satisfaction from these things, from comedy, from drugs, from creativity, from greatness. Because, you know, we, we, we can't name all of them. We, we can just call all of them greatness. And the disciples of Jesus Christ wanted this greatness. And Jesus tells them that the, the, the greatest among you is your servant. Because this is not where satisfaction is found. This is not where fulfillment is found. Fulfillment, my dear brethren, is found in Christ. That's the, that's the point. That's the point of, 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 this, of all this. We read there in chapter 12 that the, <clears throat> the end of all things, the end of the matter, 
to fear God, to keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. The end of the matter is to come to Jesus Christ as it were, to repent and to believe in him, to trust in him, to look to him, to have him as our all in all, because only Christ can satisfy. Only Christ can satisfy. Now, <clears throat> the preacher is going to tell us that those who are in God are able to enjoy these things. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 24. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. And then he says, this also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, you see that? That phrase there, that's the point of the book. Apart from God, um, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? Why laugh apart from God? Why be creative? Why, why enjoy wine or food? Why be great? Jesus Christ said, uh, What shall it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? nothing apart from god there's no reason to to eat there's no reason to enjoy for to the one who who pleases him god has given wisdom and knowledge and joy but to the sinner he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give only to give to one who pleases god this is this is the chief end of man to glorify god and to enjoy him forever not to glorify self not to enjoy self not to be self-indulgent, as the preacher tells us there from verse 1 to verse 11 of chapter 2. And so if there's anything, or, or if there's something that this book of Ecclesiastes should do to us as we go through it, is it should solidify our trust in God, our dependence upon Christ, because everything loses meaning when Christ is absent be it wisdom, be it work for you know, the, the young men who will be looking for work now, be it uh, pleasure, whatever it is, out of God, out of Christ, it's all meaningless. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for you've been so merciful and kind to us. And, and your word is, is plain. With all the intricacies of it, the, 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 the challenging bits, your word is mostly open to us, your people. Thank you for your Holy Spirit, who is able to illumine our minds. We thank you for the passage that we are considering this afternoon, for the reminder that Christ is our all in all, because pleasure is vanity. It's vain. Thank you for reminding us that we cannot find pleasure in comedy, in intoxicants, in creativity, in greatness. That meaning, the meaning of life, a meaningful life, is only that which is in Christ alone, the Savior of sinners. That all of us would bend our knee to him. We thank you that you've loved us everlastingly, unchangeably. 
And we pray that you may help us to love you as you have loved us. We thank you that you have given us, you, you've given yourself to us. You've given yourself for us. Help us to give ourselves to you. Help us to give ourselves for you. We thank you that you have died for us. Grant that we would live for you. We thank you that you may you have you have given up your son for our sake. Grant that we would give up our lives for you in every moment of our time, in every every movement of our minds, in every pulse of our hearts. Grant that we would give ourselves to you, O Lord. May we may we never dally with the world and its allurements and, and its pleasures. Help us to walk by your side, to listen to your voice, to be clothed with your graces, and to be adorned with your righteousness. Please, Lord, grant that we would walk faithfully with you, because the end of all things is that we may fear you, that we may do your commandments, all your good pleasure, and grant, O oh Lord, that we would, be find, we would be found in Christ, who is our all in all these things we we pray and ask in jesus name amen, amen.